Good. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It is finished. Ah, I've loved, I've loved this uh, Advent season. And just like you heard Jack mention, uh, we get to celebrate communion as the universal church family, anyone who is in Christ. And, uh, and this afternoon, uh, from 10.30 to 12.30, we are hosting our step three, uh, just as a step in a partnership as a local family planted here in Oregon. Um, and we've been going through this Advent season, and so excited for this afternoon. Uh, you heard Jack also reference that, skate day. Uh, if you have your own skates, bring them. Otherwise, come and celebrate over some snacks and cocoa, and uh, all ages welcome. Uh, yeah, old or young, come and enjoy. Even if you don't want to skate, just come and hang. They have a nice a little seating area lobby to watch others. Uh, I was in New York recently, and just watching others skate in Rockefeller Square, there's just, it, it, was, it was enriching to, to my heart just to watch that. And uh, we've been going through uh, this Advent season just looking at a few movies. And so for Christmas Eve, uh, it's going to be a Miracle on 34th Street, uh, where there's a tagline, I believe, I believe it's silly, but I believe. And, uh, and for me, sometimes I think people perceive believing in Jesus to be this silly myth. Instead, it is what brings uh, us life. And then we will be here on Christmas Day at 9 a.m. and uh, a more contemplative, reflective Christmas morning together. So if you'd uh, like to join, we'd love that. Um, We've been looking through these movies. We, we looked at how the Grinch stole Christmas and how uh, Christmas came. The Grinch didn't want it to come, and yet Christmas came just the same. Herod, likewise, attempted to stop the Christmas story from coming, and yet the unstoppable movement of the gospel, Christmas came just the same. We looked at Jack Skellington, confused as to why uh, nothing ever turns out like it should. Uh, attempting to bring Christmas town, and yet his plans didn't quite turn out the way he anticipated. We too sometimes look at the circumstances of our life, and uh, why doesn't anything ever turn out like it should? Uh, and yet God's continued peace beyond the circumstance. We looked at the best way to spread Christmas cheer uh, actually stems from an unshakable joy that the world can't touch. Uh, that Jesus is in the boat with us. Why would we not then celebrate? Don't force ourselves to share about this joy. Instead, continue to reflect on this fearless joy we have. And this morning, uh, I, I love, I love a, a simple story from, from a many years ago. Um, it's Charlie Brown's Christmas, and somehow this story continues to, to ring true for people's lives since, what, 1940? 40-something, I believe, and, and I love, I love uh, the interaction uh, because Charlie Brown is trying to figure out what this Christmas story is about, and uh, his friend Lucy has some other ideas, and they put on this extravagant Christmas play, and, and Charlie Brown is still confused, and so she sends him out to get a Christmas tree, and, uh, and he is so enthralled with the choice and yet, maybe some of you are wondering uh, why he chooses this tree, but he chooses this little tree, and, and some of you might even remember that part in the story. Why are you choosing that one, Charlie Brown? Uh, 
And that's when Charlie Brown saw it, the perfect Christmas tree. This little green one here seems to be in need of a home. But Linus wasn't so sure. I don't know, Charlie Brown. Remember what Lucy said. That doesn't seem to fit with the modern spirit. I don't care, Charlie Brown said. We'll decorate it, and it will be just right for our play. Besides, I think it needs me. <laughs> and, and so he continues, they do not like the Christmas tree that Charlie Brown had selected. And, and, and it's just a disaster, right? Just an absolute disaster to which Charlie Brown turns to Linus again and says, I guess you're right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked out this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is about. And so he shouts, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And I remember sitting in Knott's Berry Farm for this uh, Christmas play, and I remember Linus, the character, coming out, and he says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is about. Linus walked to the center of the stage, a lone spotlight shone on him, and he began to speak. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and they were, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards man. Linus tells us there is this beauty about what Christmas means, that God became one of us. And I love how the story ends in Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown walks off in despair, feeling like he had killed this little tree. And a few moments later, the other kids arrived. And then Linus says this. I never thought it was such a bad little tree, Linus said, as he wrapped his blanket around its base. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. And I'm struck by that line because as I hear this story... I can't help but see God's love being displayed through Linus' character. There was nothing majestic or glorious that would cause others to see that tree as anything of value. And yet, Linus says, you know, it's not a bad little tree. It just needed a little love. And so for me, this morning, as we look into this Advent story of love, I want to look at it through the eyes of what it means that God became man and dwelt among us, and how that is a profound reality of his love for us. And so we're going to read John 1, and then we're going to look through just a few uh, stories of Jesus' life as we navigate this morning. Here's, here's what John has to say about God becoming man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God in all things were made through him and without him. Not anything was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John tells us about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John the Baptist wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world 
And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Feels like this world is complexed. Feels like there's so many challenges that swirl around our life, and yet every Christmas we are reminded of the simple solution God provides to this world's complex problems, and it's a demonstration of extravagant love through the ultimate exchange where God becomes man and steps in in our place. So pray with me as, as we just explore what God has for us through this picture of extravagant love. Oh, God, you're so good to us. Help us see and hear uh, from you this morning uh, about your love, uh, this extravagant love, this great exchange of stepping in in our place. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so here's where we're headed. Jesus, in becoming a baby, initiates the ultimate exchange. <laughs> he actually steps into time and space, and by becoming the Son of Man, allows us to become children of God. And, and so what I want to do uh, is, is just look around, and I, and I saw that Leah and Dylan have their sweet little life. Are you willing to just come up for a second? Is that okay? Every Christmas, this... this is always something that shatters my, my mind. Um, we're not going to make you talk or anything. Okay. Would you introduce yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Would this little dude let me hold him just for a second? Absolutely. Would you be willing to let me hold you? Oh, there's a chance. There's a chance. Yo, I'm Dylan, this is my wife, Leah, and this is Tanner. Come on. And so Tanner's now one, I believe. Is that correct? We got to see him last Christmas. And what blows my mind every Christmas is just the reality of how God came in the form of someone even younger than Tanner and, uh, and how he entered into time and space and began this journey of growing into, uh, into an adult and just that mystery of what that means Every time we see a sweet baby, there is, there is the reality of what's coming to bear. Is that all right, Tanner? It is so beautiful. We love the binky. Do you guys call it a binky or a nook or what is it? Passy. Passy. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Leah. Because that's where we're headed. That's where the story begins of Jesus becoming a baby and initiating the ultimate exchange. So what we're going to do, we're just going to look at a few texts of Jesus' life together and develop this thread of what's taking place of Jesus becoming a man. And it starts in Matthew. So open up to Matthew 1. And the texts are going to be on the screen, so you don't have to open up. But I think there's something special about just reading along if you choose. So it starts in Matthew. And, and Matthew... Uh, tells us a little bit about what it means of what John said when he said he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Matthew begins here of where that story starts in verse 18 to 21. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child. And Joseph, understanding basic biology uh, and understanding this kid wasn't his, uh, chose and resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. The story starts in, in, a, in a bit of a scandal. <laughs> It starts in a way that God actually entered in, starts in a way that already starts to pique everybody's interest to understand Joseph isn't the father, and, and, and we're not quite sure who the father is. And, and so we see that as the story develops. You can turn to Mark 6 in a different book. Mark shares that a little bit of people's criticism. Oh. Mark 6, verse 2 to 3. And he went away from there, and on, on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get this teachings? What, what is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The son of Mary, not the son of Joseph, right? In a patriarchal society, who, who usually gets the nod for who your lineage comes from? It's the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, our father Abraham, our father Isaac. Isn't this the son of Mary? Just a, just a taunt, a slap in the face. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Who, who is this guy that he would think to lecture us about these ideas of God? From the beginning, Jesus now is seen as this uh, marginalized through scandal, born not of the traditional way. You could turn back to John, even among his family. <laughs> How does his family perceive him? You could turn to John 7, 1 to 5. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go into Judea because Jesus was, the Jews were seeking to kill him, and now the Jews... Feast of booze was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. What, why are you doing these miracles among towns and villages, amongst people that don't have any recognition in the world? You should be going to kings and palaces and doing these miracles. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. Growing up in a family, not even your closest of familial ties recognize who you are. Even those brothers wanted nothing to do with him and were confused on why his methodology was to go to these villages and towns rather than larger cities. We keep seeing how that story of his birth is causing people to respond. Turn over another chapter to John 8. 17 to 19. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is sure. I, I bear witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witnesses about me, two of us. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? 
Where's your father, Jesus? Joseph isn't your father. You were born out of sexual immorality, scandal. What do you mean? What do you mean your father bears witness about you when they taunt him? They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And they taunt him. This whole story of how God in the simplest of ways appears in a manger is so counterintuitive to the way we would understand extravagant love to be demonstrated. And then John 8, a little bit later in this chapter, 39 They again mock him. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you a truth that I hear from God. That is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father. This story of his birth carried through him. It wasn't all this butterflies and roses that we often maybe associate with Christmas, that God became one of us. God becoming one of us was filled with torment and hurt. And then, as he continued his ministry, I just imagine that hurt and torment continues to increase. Turn with me to Matthew again, chapter 4. The way Matthew records the temptations much like we saw in Luke. Here's what he says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, experiencing just these everyday challenges of what it means to be human uh, and what it means to be hungry. Continue on in Matthew chapter 12. This This one strikes me. Matthew chapter 12, 22 to 24. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of God? (laughs) You just saw a demon get cast out of someone before your eyes. How hard would your heart have to be to respond in this way? But when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that would be looking for this coming Messiah heard it, they said, it is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. How hard does your heart have to be to see a miracle take place in front of your eyes and then respond with so much animosity and hurt and frustration directed at Jesus to accuse him of casting out a demon because he's the prince of demons. Continue on in Matthew 13. Turn another chapter over to 53 to 55. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown again. We saw this earlier in Mark. He taught in the synagogue and many were astonished and they said, where does he get this from? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, this not, is his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon? Are not all his sisters with us? When... And where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. The complexities of the world, and God offers a simple solution, and yet, like Jesus, God becoming man, faced all this antagonism everywhere he went. Continue in Matthew. Turn over another page, 26. And and we see all these gospel writers 
take a, a fairly short time to go through all his life, and then when they get to his death, spend a significant time unpacking what took place. Chapter 26, 14 to 16. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. One of the guys you spent three years of your life with, closest friend now, has shifted in his heart to betray you, to betray Jesus. And then we continue, Matthew continues, the story progresses, just look a little further on to verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. So he's taken his friends, his, he's just had this last supper that we just celebrated with his disciples, and, and he's going away now to pray. Here's how Matthew records what Jesus is feeling. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. To what degree? <laughs> I, I, I've never experienced this level of sorrow. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from thee. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He just expressed his deepest anguish and sorrow in his heart, even to death, sit here and wait a while, and they fall asleep on him. Deserting him later, this is what Matthew records for us. In Matthew 26, a little further, people come to arrest him. Judas betrays him, and while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve with him, and a great crowd with swords and clubs, and the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one in whom I kiss is the man sees him. The betrayal comes to fruition now in an actual time and space. Matthew continues in verse 20, in verse 57 to 68. What happens then? They come, they seize Jesus, and now they start putting him on trial. Then those who seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard. And then we see what? The chief priest and the whole council were having a fair trial? Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Continuing on, pick it up at verse 65. The high priest tore his robes. He's uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do you need? Accusing Jesus of blasphemous words. And they spit on him and struck him in the face and some slapped him. Jesus, God, becomes a man and dwells among us. And then in chapter 27, Pilate, trying to figure out what is taking place, holds a trial and finds no fault in him. And yet the crowd is shouting to release another prisoner instead of Jesus. And so Pilate then has Jesus released, has Barabbas released, and then has Jesus beaten, scourged, and then delivered to be crucified. And then we see in Matthew 27, 
near the end. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered a battalion and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they knelt before him and mocked him. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Jesus is. The reason for the season, Jesus is God with us. And yet, what does it mean that God is with us? Jesus is tempted, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's scorned, he's blasphemed against, he's rejected, he's questioned, he's overwhelmed, he's impoverished, he's sorrowful, he's arrested, betrayed, deserted, denied, shamed, spit upon, struck on the face, slapped, mocked, stripped naked, insulted, beaten, lied about, falsely accused, cursed, convicted, condemned, crucified, humiliated, scorned, pierced, bruised, rejected, hated, stared at, left naked in public to die, and ultimately executed. (sighs) That we hear this Christmas story about extravagant love, and we often think of the purity of the baby, and yet as we see Jesus live this life and what it meant, there was no greater extravagant love than God became man and dwelt among us to give us what? to give us the reality that we could be children of God. And so I just want to read two verses from Hebrews that open up that access to us. It is beautiful because in John, he tells us, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. To all who did receive him, he did what? Gave us the opportunity to be children of God. And we were born not of blood, but of the will, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The author of Hebrews speaks to what that reality is. Here's what he says. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself had suffered when tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. And since we have this great high priest who passed through the heavens to become God with us, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The author of Hebrews, and I think John and Luke are all crying for this reality. Jesus is God Almighty, a human being, one who tasted death so we wouldn't have to, founder of our salvation, made perfect through suffering, destroyer of the power of the devil, delivered those who are afraid of death, maker of atonement for us. But this Christmas season, I think our help in all circumstances. The reality that God became man and dwelt among us prevents any of us from ever shaking our fist and saying, God, you don't understand the complexities of this world. You don't understand all that I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through this Christmas season. He's our helper in all circumstances. And so I don't know where your mind goes 
uh, I'm sitting down. Don't, don't feel sorry for me, right? But I just feel a, an emotional weight this Christmas season, one that I, I don't think I've felt in previous seasons. Uh, and, and I've just been reflecting. What is that? Why, where, where's that come from? And, uh, and here's one of the things that's transpired in my life. I, I don't know what might be uh, causing you to maybe feel overwhelmed by the circumstances. Um, this man probably means nothing to anyone in the room. <laughs> a face that maybe you'd pass on the street. He was a friend of mine from seminary. And... and <laughs> I mean, 10 years ago, I'm getting old, guys, and uh, last week was struck by a car out in Pasadena walking his dog. His name's Nick Sherman, uh, father of two beautiful girls, a wife, beautiful wife, Tyra. Uh, I spoke to him two or now three weeks ago, uh, just his dream to get back into church planning, feeling the need more than ever in his life for the hope of life in Christ. And don't hear me say I'm questioning God's sovereignty, but, but just feeling the weight. What does it mean that Jesus is our help in every time of trouble, that we can't shake our fist and go, God, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You, you don't know what's going on in my life. And around Christmas time, I can't help but think now of what his family is feeling this Christmas season. It reminds me of the brevity of life and the simple solution to the complex problems of this life, God became man and dwelt among us. And so this Christmas season, to hear Jesus is and Christmas is, Christmas is the ultimate expression of cosmic solidarity with humanity. <laughs> that God with us means love came down. <laughs> Whatever trial or circumstance might be conflicting and afflicting your soul right now, we hear these words, Jesus is to us who have felt betrayed. Jesus is for us who maybe have felt abandoned or mocked or scorned or tempted or alienated, lied about, falsely accused, humiliated, deserted facing extreme pressure, hurt, grieved, or lonely, depressed, shamed, or just waiting for either the next shoe to drop or waiting for clarity. Here is the promise of Christmas. Jesus dives in. Jesus dives into those moments in our lives. He meets us there, and it is this incredible moment of cosmic solidarity with us, and he gives us the opportunity to be reconciled as his kids. And so as we look ahead, it's hard to believe Christmas Eve is this coming Saturday. Does it feel like it snuck up on anybody else? It feels like it's hard to believe the Christmas season is already nearing its end, and my heart has just been so filled with a lot of different things. Here's my best attempt to just this week spend a little time reflecting on the reality that God became man and dwelt among us. I hope when you see a baby, any baby this Christmas season, you just ponder that mystery and reality when you see Tanner or when you see Caleb James with the Schoenrocks or any baby this year. You just ponder that beautiful reality that God became a man. 
and that we consider God's loving gift to us as we buy maybe our last-minute Christmas presents. Uh, I might still have a few gifts that I'm supposed to get for my wife this Christmas season. But we consider God's loving gift to us as we buy our last-minute Christmas gifts. And we devote some time to reading about Jesus' birth, not necessarily Charlie Brown Christmas, but actually reading the Christmas story from the Bible from Luke 2 or John 1, ultimately just to experience his love a little bit more fully this Christmas season. And then I would encourage you, even when it's single digits, oh man, it was cold this morning, to pray, to watch through our neighborhood and maybe step into an opportunity to express God's great love. And then... Commit to an expression of love for someone you know who doesn't really get the meaning of Christmas and hasn't yet experienced his nearness. What would it look like for us actually to be his presence? Uh, Refuse to let the cultural celebrations dominate our thinking for the remainder of this season. I don't know what floods your mind when you wake up and, and the, the, the Instagram ticker or the new Hallmark movie is instantly compelling you. How might we continue to, to lean in and refuse to let the cultural celebration primarily, don't hear me say don't celebrate, but primarily dominate our thinking? And then when you hear Jesus' name, Remember, he is with you right now, and he dives in. That it is the most extravagant display of love, and it is, we love celebrating the simplicity and the beauty of sometimes Jesus in the form of a baby. Do we see the life he lived and the solidarity he provided in the midst of whatever we might be going through? Because he looks at our life, And says, it's not a bad little tree. (laughs) It just needs a little love. And at the cost of his son, at the cost of his life, he reconciles us so that we can be children of God. Pray with me. Oh, God, you're so good. Help us experience a little bit more of your cosmic love this Christmas season. Help us see the reality of what it means that God is with us and that no matter what we are going through, we can find confidence that you are with us. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory, we pray. Amen.